Episode 137 of the PJ Archive is a phone interview I did with the English-Australian actress, director and screenwriter Rachel Ward. She was born into a titled family and her sister Tracy, Duchess of Beaufort, is a former actress turned environmental and animal rights campaigner. Rachel started her career as a fashion and photography model, moved to the United States in 1977 and appeared in TV adverts before starring in a string of major movies in the 1980s, including Sharky's Machine with Burt Reynolds, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid with Steve Martin and Against All Odds with Jeff Bridges. She's probably best known for portraying Meggie Cleary in the blockbuster miniseries The Thornbirds, which also featured the Australian actor Brian Brown, who Rachel married in 1983 and has three children with. They live in Australia where Rachel has enjoyed further success as a film and TV director and screenwriter. This interview took place in 2010, when she was promoting Beautiful Kate, the first feature-length film she directed and wrote the screenplay for. Rachel began by telling me about the challenges of being an independent filmmaker. We have to compete with that massive Hollywood machine for people to get to see these independent films, you know. Is that how you look at it? You think it's a big task every time you bring out an independent film? Bloody oath it is, Mm. yes. Very hard to get marginalised, sidelined, squashed. Very hard to make a bigger noise, you know, than major star vehicles. And um, But I'm in very good company because I am a member of the European Film Awards and I get to see a lot of European films that suffer the same fate, who also get squashed. Yeah. And it's a great pity because there's some fantastic films in there. And I'm sure you have your, your cinemas, your curtains and stuff that do show yep. a number of these sort of films. But, you know, distribution is a huge problem. It's a huge problem for music. It's a huge problem for film. It's a huge problem for literary works, too, for books and placement in, in shops and windows. And you've always got your Bryce Courtney's and your Lee Child's in the windows, haven't mm-hmm. you? And the other ones are shoved down the back. Rachel, why don't you take this opportunity to sell the film to us? I mean, tell us what Beautiful Kate's about in a nutshell and why we should go and see it. (laughs) Oh, that's putting um, a big pressure on me. Why should we go and see Beautiful Kate? Well, obviously it depends on what your taste of film's like. If you like very black and white morality in your films, if you like all your goodies and baddies clearly delineated and you enjoy you know, those sort of paradigms, then probably Beautiful Kate isn't for you. But if you like, if you like to sort of challenge yourself with questions of, you know, of our morality, our values, and I don't mean to sound too heavy, but Mm -hmm. it's dealing with a far more grey areas, moral grey areas. And it's about us. It's far more about humanity. It's about the subtler shades of right and wrong in you know in our value systems really mm-hmm. and it's about sort of what happens when it's sort of transgressive sex really and what happens when you step outside our parameters our moral parameters and the consequences of that and it's about guilt and it's about you know all those those human qualities that we all wrestle with daily guilt forgiveness reconciliation love you know so it's not just 
It's not about car chases, I suppose you could say. <laughs> well, look, in a nutshell, what's the plot? In a nutshell, what the plot is, a man returns home to his family station, Outback Station, and to say farewell to his dying father. Mm -hmm. And in the time that he is there, the past comes back to haunt him. And you realise and you, you, you sort of understand that it's been a great drift between father and son, a great antagonism between father and son, and you learn why during the, right. the course of the film. And you basically, it's a sort of parallel narrative, so it's a story of him growing up, going through puberty and isolation, mm -hmm. and it is about how he moves on, basically, how he right. overcomes a major sort of tragedy drama in his life and, mo and moves on. And you've got a fantastic cast, including your husband, of course, fantastic performances in it. There's a young girl who's actually, Sophie Lowe, is from Manchester. Her family is from Manchester. Well, I like and, Rachel Griffiths. Um, she's always very good. Yeah, she's very good, yeah. yeah. But this they've got two new young girls in it. Both of them have been signed by the same agency in Hollywood as Kate Blanchett and oh. Brad Pitt and Rose Byrne and a number of people. They're very much tipped to be the new, you know, young Australian actors to make it overseas. What was it yeah. like directing your own husband? Extremely hard work. <laughs> Extremely hard work. He was by far the most difficult. Yeah, it was difficult because I had to really put on my, my director's hat, not my partner hat, really. Yeah. So that was a bit of a shift. But in a way, it was sweet revenge for all the bossing of me that he'd done when I was writing it, and he was <laughs> the producer on it. Oh. So he was very exacting then. Mm -hmm. And I was very exacting when I got the chance to be exacting. Right. But actually, it was great. And it was a role that Brian hasn't, hasn't played before, and I think he did not see himself playing this role mm. and made a sort of, you know, sort of kind of dug his heels in about playing it. But he was very well suited to play this role. Many people have said it's one of his best performances, if not his best performance. So that was really... You know, fantastic to be able to, to be part of that and with him and, and to push him to do something that he hadn't done before. Yeah. And to, you know, I suppose, give him the encouragement to go there. I mean, he's playing a sort of dying, embittered man, a failed man. And usually he plays sort of, sort of stoic heroes. <laughs> so it was, it was a bit of a departure for him. All those years when you were acting, were you looking at the camera thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind doing that on the other side and... Uh being in charge of the whole thing? Not really, because, you know, going through Hollywood, there was not a woman to be seen behind a camera. Brian's had a 30-year career, and I'm the first woman he's worked with. Wow. I mean, we are far and few between, getting better. But no, it really wasn't until I came to live in Australia, and I, you know, I was exposed to the work of Gillian Armstrong and, and Jane Campion and a number of other Australian women who were behind the camera, that I felt that I had the authority to, to be behind the camera too, really. I was a mentor at my kids' school, and we have a very big short film festival here in Australia called Tropfest, and a lot of young people want to enter into Tropfest. Mm -hmm. So I was facilitated in my kids' school to do a Tropfest entry, and it was really in the process of doing that that I went, oh, I can do this, and hmm. I love doing this. 
that I then went on and, you know, did a number of short films after that and then finally gone on to do my feature. And pun intended, it does seem you've achieved great things as a director already against all odds, as a woman, as, as an actress, and above all, as a beautiful actress too, because often you wouldn't have gotten taken seriously, I suppose. Proud. I guess you do. I mean, everybody has their prejudices or perceptions that they have to break through. I think quite often people think that actors, you know, very often actors do have a go behind the camera, probably not as many women as men, and they don't stay there. They find out how bloody hard work it is, and you don't see them doing, you know, they probably have a one go and then they're back in front of the camera again. You'd have to drag me in front of the camera again. Really? I so much prefer being behind the camera, and in a funny way, I probably always did. In, you know, I was never particularly comfortable in front of a camera, and I feel so much more comfortable behind a camera. So did I have to... Yes, I suppose, in a way. But, you know, I've been doing short films for about 10 years now, so I've got quite a body of work here, and I've won, you know, a lot of awards for them and things. So I think yeah. by the time I came to do my feature, I mean, people who are responsible for the, you know, handing out art subsidies, I was as much of a candidate as anybody else. When did you last act in front of a camera? did a mini-series for the ABC about two years ago, a, a series, yeah. And was it such a bad experience that you said never again, or what? No, no, in fact, I enjoyed it. I just so much prefer being behind the camera. Mm. I like holding the reins. I find it much more stimulating, exciting. I find it a much more intense creative experience and a much more satisfying creative experience to, you know, to hold the reins, to mm. control the whole caboodle. Because in your um, website biography, it says, in your former life as an actress, does that mean you'll never act again? Um, no, it doesn't mean I'll never act again, but right. I don't seek it particularly. Yeah. And I go out of my way to pursue a writing-directing career, and I don't really put much effort into pursuing a, an acting career, which is probably fairly fortunate, because I'm definitely the, far the other side of the use-by date for most women, so... It's probably just as well I've moved on. Was that on your mind when you were contemplating the move to directing and producing that you, th you realised that... I don't produce at all. I write and, okay. I, and I direct. But was that on your mind, thinking that, well, you know, an actress's life is only so long and uh, you need to start thinking about other areas to go into? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty much on my, you know, on my radar ever since I moved to Australia because... I never really worked that much in Australia. Most of my work was in America. And Australia's a very small industry, you know, and it's very tightly guarded in a way. I mean, it's not like America where they, you know, welcome outsiders. They, they can't afford to. And I'm an English chick, you know, and I'm hmm. just never going to be an Australian girl, really. I mean, I feel very Australian and I lived here, but I'm, I'm not really... I don't know. There are many, many, I think, probably better people to play Australian characters than myself. I'm still very English. Your accent is a bit sort it's of in between. It's a hard one to do. The Australian accent I find very difficult, too. Well, you've got one. You think I sound Australian? <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> do you? They think I sound fruity here. How funny. And in, in England, they think I sound Australian. But no, <laughs> they think I sound very Australian. And I actually find it really hard to do the Australian accent. Very few people can get it right. How often do you come back here to Britain? About once a year. Right. And uh, have you still got family here in the yep. Cotswolds? Yep, got family there, yep. 
Yeah, I interviewed your sister a number of years ago, a couple of oh, times. Oh, did you? She was campaigning about the environment uh, or something. Good honour, yeah. yeah. She's a heroine of mine. Do you uh, back her campaigns? Um, do I back her campaigns? Well, not particularly, no, because they're very localised, her campaign. Her whole thing is about local. So it's not really something I can do from Australia. I admire her enormously, and I certainly politically am very often on, you know, agreeing with her. I admire enormously her tenacity and her intellectual and political passion. Do you wish she'd continued as an actress? No. I think she's far better suited as some Joan of Arc kind of type character. Right. She's an activist, and she's a wonderful activist because she's utterly committed, mm. and she's the hardest worker of anybody I've ever known. Talk about having a hard time being taken seriously. Yeah. I mean, she has earned her stripes for so long now but for her to be taken seriously surely because I suppose she's clearly an, an elite I suppose you yeah. could say or clearly uh, I don't know how, if my expressions are probably a bit old fashioned compared to what yours are well, how would you describe her? I suppose aristocratic I suppose you still uh, use that word yeah definitely yeah they're basically you can't take aristocratic women seriously can you in England well, I think it depends on the person. I think she is taken seriously. I think she's widely respected for her campaigning, yeah. Oh, good. Well, she's certainly earned her stripes, and she's extremely... Passionate. Yeah, extremely passionate, also extremely articulate about her issues. Yeah. Whether yeah. you agree or you don't agree, she knows what she's talking about from her perspective. Yeah. Um, Rachel, would you say that your childhood in the Cotswolds was as idyllic as we imagine? I would say it probably was, yes. It's a lovely place to grow up, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. I mean, you know, growing up in the country of England, it's pretty nice. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's bloody nice. I mean, I'm glad I, bought, I grew up in the country and not the city. And would you say that, uh, you know, being born into the aristocracy was advantageous to you or disadvantageous? Um, well, it depends in what respect, I suppose. As I said about Tracy, I think it's definitely slightly harder to be taken seriously because there's an assumption that you're just a flip, you know. There's an assumption that you don't think, that you don't have a soul in many respects. It's not fashionable to be a knob at the moment, and it hasn't been for, you know, since I was growing up. I suppose there was a bit of a switch after World War II, and as you notice with most young aristocrats all speak with a very sort of London accent. Nobody advertises. Most people are sort of hiding their pedigree under a bushel. Well, we've now got a new Prime Minister, as you know, who went to Eton. Yes, congratulations. Yeah, and he's getting a lot of stick because he went to Eton and stuff. Well, do you yeah. defend him? Do you it's say... It's the same old thing, isn't it? It's very, it's a very... Well, I mean, you know, we get it here too. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull, who was running for the opposition, I mean, and he went to one of the top public schools here and he was getting the same the same flack too. I mean, for some reason, if you come from privilege or what is perceived as privilege, and it very much depends on how you colour the word privilege, it's harder to be taken seriously. It's as if you've, you know, you don't think, I suppose, or you've never struggled with anything, and yeah. therefore you don't warrant any, any seriousness of anybody taking you seriously. What was it that first made you contemplate acting and, and show business? Was it a film uh, you watched? I was completely uneducated, and I couldn't do anything else. Uneducated? I, I was one of, those, one of those girls that I sort of were at that time where it was still not education for women in, in my class was certainly not a priority. 
and yet it was very much the sort of beginning of feminism and and certainly the beginning of women i mean certainly most of my peers didn't go to university and didn't really have the notion of a career i certainly didn't so i left school at 16 with no skills at all i went back to university um, I finished my education just after I had my third child. I went back wow. to university and I did a postgraduate degree in communication. Did I did eventually finish my education, but there was no priority about, you know, education. I'm sure you went to a top public school, didn't you? No, went to a very average girls' school. It was called Hather Castle School. There wasn't an enormous emphasis on education for women. And I'm talking, I left 75, 6. But was there a, a film or a show that you saw as a youngster that made you think, that's the life for me? Oh, only in that, you know, you fantasised when you went to the movies and, you know, envisioned yourself, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like every young girl, you know, there was, you know, there's epic romances, epic classics like Doc Zhivago and Far mm -hmm. From the Madding Crowd and Ryan's Daughter. There were all those sort of roles that yep. you thought, yeah, I mean... I don't think the world that I inhabited was about as far away from those sort of realities as you could get, but I suppose anybody could say that. So how did you get into the business? Well, I started doing a bit of modelling in London, and then I went to live in New York, and then I started doing commercials in New York, and then I went to drama school in New York. I don't know, it sort of, I got into it quite, quite easily, quite quickly. It was probably a lot less competitive then. I've always been quite determined very focused and I was just quite determined to do it and you know when you have a when you're young you don't really realize really what the obstacles are and what the competition is how much of an advantage would you say your beauty was at that stage oh huge the only advantage I was talentless git <laughs> you know huge it was all about what what I looked like of course I think what did have a lot to do with it was my much more my my courage i mean i definitely got off my bum and gave it a go i had the audacity to have a go i think that's much more my talent than some na i'm not a natural actor by any means i'm not somebody who's naturally at ease in front of a lot of people cameras whatever i find it excruciatingly embarrassing and how did you find living in america having been brought up in the uk well, I loved it. I really took to it because I was very keen to throw the shackles of baggage. I found it quite suffocating, all of that, that class thing in England. And that you were, in America, you were taken at face value. There was no baggage of, oh, we've got the posh one in today, which, you know, often used to get. Or, how's mummy? Has she bought her hat for Ascot yet? You know, mm. there was a lot of that went on. I always maintained that if I tried to crack it as an actress in England, I think it would have been harder than it was for me to go to America and just be one of the pretty girls vying for the parts, you know. I wasn't saddled with being, you know, a posh girl. I gathered you shared a flat with Daryl Hannah. I did share a flat with, well, a house in Hollywood Hills, yeah. Yeah, what was she like to share with? She was great. Her dogs were something else. <laughs> You're not an animal fan, then? Um, we had a lo lot of dogs in the house growing up. Now, I'm very happy never to share a house with a dog ever again. Oh. 
And um, Dynasty must have been one of your first projects, wasn't it? I wasn't. I don't know where this came from. I was never in Dynasty. Really? No, oh. I don't know where that came from. Oh, I beg your pardon. I know it's in there somewhere, and it's, you know, a load of cods fall up. So what would you say was your first break? Sharky's Machine, the film with Burt Reynolds. And how do you look back upon that now? Oh, kind of like... I kind of like I've got daughters now who are almost older than me when I played that role and I kind of go well yeah it was quite you know I give myself credit for you know moving to live in America moving to live in LA quite sort of young really I mean it's a long way from home and it's it's a world that has its challenges it's not surprising that a lot of actors actresses go nuts yeah. <laughs> I mean it's very easy place to lose your way I didn't stick at it for very long. I didn't enjoy the... I mean, I quite enjoyed being on a film and all of that, but I didn't enjoy all the attendant stuff. And you've right. got to enjoy all of that. You've got to enjoy the premieres and the parties and the dressing up and all the schmoozing. And you've got to be able to embrace that and want that very much. And I didn't really want it enough. May we know if you encountered the casting couch very often in your early days? Not really, no. It was all done... You know, it was, that's, I think, slightly exaggerated. Maybe it happens more now. It didn't really. It was all done pretty professionally. And, oh, you certainly, you know, working on a film, you make very intense relationships. But I uh, know I was never, I didn't, never slept with anyone for oh, a role. Oh, no, I wasn't suggesting that. That's what the, the inference of the casting couch is, isn't it? Well, no, I understand what you mean. I just wondered if, if you know, you came across people who kind of would uh, impose that and you just said, oh, no way, I'm out of here. So. No, I remember when I was modelling mm. in New York and Johnny Casablanca was my agent at the time and I remember him having to call me in at one point and saying that I wasn't nearly friendly enough to the client. And I'm not sure quite how to interpret that. Yeah. But um, I think it meant, you know, I mean, basically said you have to go out to dinner with them and you have to, you know, you're not just there to look pretty in pictures. There's yeah. other PR stuff that goes on, uh, which was news to me. But no, I wasn't very good at schmoozing clients. I imagine Burt Reynolds must have been quite a handful. No, he was great. Yeah, yeah he was great because he's an actor. So he's yeah. like, and act actors that turn directors are Fantastic for actors. And Steve we, Martin? You know, Steve Martin was, he's quite, he's a kind of cold man, Steve really? Martin. He's mm. not, you know, I didn't get very close to him, no. Do you find generally it's hard to befriend the people you work with? Not um, at all. Really? No. Very easy because you're in these, you're in these very intense situations, usually on location. So you're spending mm. a lot of time. Everyone's away from home. Everyone's got, you know, cut loose. And that's one of my fondest memories of it all, you know, being off on location with a whole group of actors and, and creative people. That's fun. And I imagine meeting your husband on the Thornbirds must have been yep, the greatest that was thing of, fun. of that project. Yeah. Yep, that was fun. Did you like meet in rehearsals and look across each other and thought, he's the one for me? Yep, a bit like that. Oh. <laughs> a bit like that. Yeah, I think you know when you, very often you know. Yeah. Don't know how it's a very sort of subconscious thing, isn't it? But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no regrets there. Oh, I'm still hanging in there, aren't I? Yeah, good for you. Most people associate you with the Thornbirds. Is that something you're happy with, or you'd rather not be so associated with that? They might in England, I suppose. They don't hear particularly because obviously I've lived here for a long time and I've had you know quite a high-profile career here as a 
you know, as a writer, yeah. as a director now, as a fundraiser, and, you know, for many other reasons, as somebody who's, you know, very much part of this community. And the Stormbirds would be a distant memory, I think, for most, for them. I suppose worldwide, yes, I am. Yes, I mean, you, you, you know, it's nice to feel that, that you haven't necessarily peaked in your, you know, that you yeah. feel that you haven't peaked. I mean, that's an, un I suppose, that you peak in your, you know, when you're 23. I feel that, you know, the thing, work I'm doing now is infinitely more interesting and, um, yeah, inf infinitely more interesting. I mean, it'll never get that public profile. So, yeah, no, I'm pretty happy with that. Do you feel that was your finest hour as an actress? Not at all, no. What was as an no, actress? But, uh, no, I don't think I've had a finest hour as an actress. I don't think we need to discuss my finest hours as, act as an actress. No, I never really... My finest hour as an actress. Oh, probably in some insignificant film that's never seen the light of day, probably. But people do find it hard to divorce fantasy from reality. Did you get much stick from, you know, holy people, religious people at, the, at your character in The Thornbirds? Oh, I can't remember. Probably, no, I got only just the, very, the nicest comments, really. Mm. I mean, I got, people still come up to me today and say how much they enjoyed it and how often they've seen The Thornbirds and all of that. I didn't really feel great sense of pride in anything I did until I started writing and right. then you know when i had newspaper articles printed and all of that that was i felt um far more satisfied by that and then when i started do, doing short films and and having done beautiful kate i get an enormous satisfaction out of that achievement sure no, no definitely Much more. but i hope you'll forgive me but i just must ask you about richard chamberlain how do you describe your relationship with him non-existent really well i don't see him no i mean at the time did you oh at the time no lovely man I mean, could not have been kinder and more patient and generous to me. But you didn't keep in touch? No. Why was that, do you think? Oh, you just move on. You know, I moved back here. I moved down to Australia. He lives in Hawaii. You move on, you know. You can't keep in touch with everybody you work with. I did see him in an airport. We were in the same film. We were in the same television thing, and I was in different different scenes than him and we did cross over at the airport and it was lovely to see him now i mean you you were voted at that time among the 10 most beautiful women in the world or something and did that sort of thing matter to you or did you kind of brush that off um did that thing matter to me i took it as a very nice compliment and it didn't keep me awake at night one way or the other <laughs> and against all odds what's your memory of that film I didn't enjoy that one at all. Really? Why and not? And I didn't like the film at all. Why? Because it personified everything that roles for women in Hollywood were about. And they were very, basically very two-dimensional. They were the sort of sexual quotient. I don't think there was really anything interesting about that character. And I was extraordinarily bad in it. Oh. So, yeah, that's probably my memory of that one. Did you meet Phil Collins, and did you like the song? Not much, no. Oh, dear. Because I think that those sort of period, everyone remembers the hairstyles. How do you feel looking back at the visuals? I think, actually, mine was better than some I've seen. I don't have that hairstyle now, let's put it that way. No, 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 I've, as I've seen from some of the <laughs> photographs, yeah. And uh, did you get much uh, unwanted attention from male admirers? Because you were very much a sex symbol. I didn't really notice 
from the minute that came out, I was pretty much living in Australia and having babies by then. You know, my agent was is still is not recovered from the fact that I'd just come out in The Thornbirds, which was the biggest miniseries, and then a film, which you know, was also a very big date flick. And then yeah. I basically walked away from Hollywood and went, I don't think I want to do this anymore. So uh, I didn't bask in it, that's for sure very difficult to get a perspective on whether you're a sex symbol or not. I mean, I think it's a lot of it's just hype and probably in retrospect is one of a clutch of girls that was getting some lead roles at a certain point, but I don't really think it was anything particularly, you know, exceptional. You've been quoted as saying that you wish you'd done more nudity. Is that correct or is that a misquote? No, I wish I hadn't been quite so neurotic about it. Right. I don't think it diminishes an actress doing nudity. I think it's part of your box of tricks and if it's a if it's a part that warrants it you know no big deal i don't think we have to be too coy about it but when you've watched your early movies with your children has it been a bit embarrassing at those no, times i've never watched my any of my movies ever and right. um my son actually did see a bit of against all odds the other day and he said oh i can see why you changed careers mum no it's not very nice <laughs> <laughs> We have a pretty chargey relationship in this household. We have a pretty... We don't mince our words here. And uh, were you ever offered Playboy or anything like that? I imagine they must have offered you a fortune at that time. Mm, I don't think I was, no. Really? I'm very surprised. Oh, well, thank you, Peter. <laughs> well, if you had been offered, would you have taken it up? No, it's far too prudish. Bond girl? Were you ever offered to, to be a Bond girl? No. Would you ever have fancied that? No, probably not. Again, you know, too much bathing suit crap. You know, those are the sort of thing I probably wish I'd sort of been a bit less precious about. In retrospect, you go, okay, you have a you have a moment in the sun when you're, you know, as pretty as you're going to be, and the world is your oyster, and you need to make the absolute most of it, make as much money as you can, put it away, you know, save it, because those moments of opportunity aren't going to be there all your life. And in retrospect, but it's very difficult to have a sense of the impermanence of it. Yeah. You know, you kind of at the time think it's going to go on forever. You have no notion of the fact that you have a moment of high earning power, basically. And you need to make the most. Of, I mean, if, if I was saying to other actresses, recognize those moments, particularly, you know, and don't sort of, I mean, I was really... Everything was about, the, you know, it was all about, I mean, I have no illusion that I was there for my great talent as an actress. I was there because I looked pretty hot in a red bathing suit, you know, and I needed to, and basically, I should have just grabbed that and not been, as my mother said, don't take it all so seriously. Yeah. At the time it was hard to hear, but it was very good advice. And there's plenty of time to take other things seriously, but... You know, as an actress in Hollywood, I don't think one should take oneself too seriously. And I'm not sure one should take oneself too seriously as an actress ever. Was there any um, um, movie or TV that you turned down that you regretted? Not really, no. I mean, you know, the sort of notion that one was offered a whole lot of stuff. I wasn't really. I mean, hmm. you just... Um, I did turn down the Thornbirds to start with. Yeah. didn't want to do it to start with. And then my agent talked me into it. No, not really. I was there for a very short time. I was in Hollywood about three years, and, and that was it. How much of your decision to walk away and, and start a family was because you simply felt you were in love and you wanted to have children, or because you just simply were disillusioned with the film industry? I wasn't 
disillusioned. I was just a little bit embarrassed by being an actress. I felt very self-conscious about being an actress. I was sort of um, not in my skin. I was not comfortable in my skin as an actress. And at that time, I hadn't really developed any other skills. So I, you know, walked away, had babies, had three children, went back to university. And ever since I've, you know, graduated, I've been a writer and I've been a filmmaker much more comfortable in that skin really and I've you know had the occasional acting job all the, all the way along but that's never been something that has defined me. So when you walked away you didn't think oh I'll have the children then I can just get back into it again or wanted to do that? Well I didn't really feel that, that getting married and having children was interrupting anything particularly that I cared about you know right. I was quite happy to, to let it go. Yeah yeah we have David Beckham over here and Victoria Beckham. They're very much the, the big celebrity couple. And for quite a while, you and Brian have been, haven't you? So how did you feel about that aspect of things, the two of you? Well, I can't really compare it because, I mean, here we are, I suppose, in Australia. But I don't think, I don't know. Well, we just, you know, if you don't want to be, I don't, I don't really get all these actresses, actors complaining about losing their privacy i mean if you don't want it like i didn't want it you walk away from it and yeah. you close the door and you don't put yourself in the public eye if you really don't want to do it if you want to be an actress and you want to be in hollywood films it's part and part of the whole thing to only have one bit of it is just no deal just not realistic so i didn't enjoy it and i didn't want it so i walked away to australia you couldn't get further away and i was left alone did you immediately um, feel comfortable in Australia? Did you feel that's you know, the place for you? No, it took me quite a while to feel like, you know, this was home. It, took, it takes many years to feel like another country is your home. May we know where in Australia you are? Sydney. Have you always been in Sydney since you've been there? Yep. And you left, what, in 85, would it have been? I left in, I was married in 84, so yeah, about 80, 84, 85, yeah. Have you always hoped to stay in Australia or thought about coming back to the UK? Oh, I'm quite sort of torn. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I'm still very English. I still feel very English. I'm very much, you know, as a migrant, you're kind of an outsider. You're a little bit of a, an outsider, which, you know, for a writer and a filmmaker, I think gives you a, I think it's a positive. It gives you a great perspective. I'm a sort of bit of an outsider in England now, too. Um, so it gives me a healthy perspective on both cultures. Yeah. So you've got three kids? I do. I have three kids, yes. And how do you feel about them and show business? Are you keen for them to, to pursue that path, or would you rather they didn't? No, I think it's, it's a great life. You know, it's great work if you can get it. I would definitely encourage them, and they've all been to university, they've all finished school, they've all got creative careers, but I'm definitely encouraging them to develop skills rather than relying on you know, their looks. But, you know, none of them have been to acting school. They've all done... They all want to be behind the camera or in other areas. But, no, I mean, they're not... They're, none of my daughters want to really be in front of the camera. They want to be the storytellers. They want to be the behind the camera. They want to control the show. How they much of a pressure do you think it's been for them having parents who are internationally famous? Oh, I don't think very big pressure at all because we're very low-key and... I think they're pretty well adjusted. I don't think there's um, so far so good. I don't think they felt an enormous pressure at all. And how have you enjoyed being a parent? I have had my moments. 
I had my good moments and my bad moments. Also, can enjoy my own life as well. I've enjoyed being back in the workforce. And as you've explained, ten years now as a filmmaker, did you ever imagine that you'd have a completely new career that would be even more satisfying? No, I didn't. At one point, you know, when I went back to university, I really wanted to get out of the film industry. But I found that, you know, I'd had a lot of experience with scripts. So it was quite natural for me to have a sort of, a, you know, a natural um, instinct, you know. Right. My, in, you know, I was much more instinctive about writing scripts than I was about writing, a, you know, books, really, writing a, a fixed prose. You know, and that was probably from just uh, many years of reading scripts and working on scripts and, you know, and, and also many years complaining about scripts and then having doing it myself, realizing how, how challenging it is. It's not an easy thing to do to write a good script, and a mediocre script. <laughs> Bearing in mind there were things that you didn't enjoy about scripts when you were an actress, do you make sure those elements never appear in films that you're making? Um, no, because you can't guarantee that. I think one of the things that I really am proud about my film is that the, um, the central woman's character, the central character of the girl, is a very proactive female character mm. she drives all the scenes she's not just someone lying on her back in orgasmic throws or stabbing witch hazel on the boy's cut you know this this girl is has a very dynamic role in the film and it's the sort of role that i would have loved when i was an actress you know she's ballsy and she's complex and she's vulnerable and yet she's enigmatic and she's i don't know there's a sort of I would have quite liked to have had a director like me, I think. I would have liked to have had me directing me. Because I think I'm quite good at bringing out sort of what's engaging about... I think I'm good at, at understanding what is appealing on film. Yeah, I think I've got a good sense of fun with, with characters. I don't let it all get too serious. You know, and I suppose it very much depends. I mean, my subject matter was pretty intense. But I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm just quite good on human behaviour. Do you think that if you'd continued to pursue very seriously an acting career, you would have had to have succumbed to Botox and plastic surgery and all that sort of thing, which actresses these days seem to feel is compulsory? Oh, I think it goes way beyond actress, actresses, doesn't it? You I tell think me. most people feel an enormous pressure to stay young-looking. Well, that's because all the images, all the most positive images of women are very, very young, very, very thin women. So it's hard to grow old in the, in the society that we've created. It's hard to feel marginalized in the beauty stakes and the attractiveness stakes. You know, we don't have nearly enough images, you know, positive images, I suppose, of women over 40, really. I mean, we've just sort of become invisible. May we know if you've succumbed to the knife? I have not, no, but I'm sorely tempted. Are you? Oh, yeah, every time I look in the mirror, I'm always pushing bits up here and pushing bits down there, aren't you? Tucking that bit in there, holding my eyebrows up, <laughs> thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of a tuck there. So do you think you will? I might. Have you tried things like Botox? No, I don't like needles. Just I'm waiting for Botox in a cream form. I certainly don't judge people who do either, and I think that for some people, 
you know, plastic surgery, when there's such an emphasis on how people should look and, you know, what defines beauty, I don't blame women at all for going. I mean, I think they take it too far often, but I don't blame women at all for, you know, feeling better by having a nip and a tuck. How do you feel now looking at pictures of yourself as a sort of babe in Hollywood? I wish I'd appreciated myself a bit more. I was always highly critical. Mm. You were never good enough. As a model, you know, you develop very critical opinions about yourself. You're always having to measure up to very high standards. And one falls short in numerous ways. So it's a road to great insecurity. Over the years, you must have met some amazing people. Who's been the biggest thrill to meet? Not necessarily people in my industry, for sure met some people in the industry but they haven't necessarily knocked my socks off i would be really excited to meet somebody like aaron hattie roy the indian mm-hmm. writer mm-hmm. just been reading her at the moment i think she's amazing what? i'd like to meet leonard cohen yeah i'd love to meet leonard cohen he's well, a hero of mine well there's a biopic that needs doing his terrible troubles with finance he's had to go back out on the road hasn't I, he thank so, god I'm, yeah. ne- I'm merciful that that guy stole all his money we Put him yeah. out, got him out on the road again. We would have missed one of the best concerts ever. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really that excited by meeting other actors. I enjoy many of them, and they're my friends, but I'm a little bit uh, past being thrilled to meet any... I mean, I am 50-something. It's a little bit... You know, if I was still getting excited about bumping into George Clooney, there'd probably be something wrong with me. <laughs> but do you think if you'd stayed in Britain, you might be sort of Dame Rachel Ward by now? Definitely not definitely wouldn't be accepting any kind of title. I walked away from all of that, remember? I certainly wouldn't be embracing it now. Why? I'm not interested in those sort of titles. I I would feel very uncomfortable with them. I've come from a world of titles, and they mean very little, and they're usually pretty vacuous, and, and in many cases, when it's hereditary, unwarranted and unmerited. I know too many people who have been inheritors of great wealth and titles, and they don't deserve, deserve any respect at all. I wondered if you'd ever considered politics. No, I'm not interested enough in politics, no. Mm. I, like, I like the arts. I like humanities. I like telling stories about how people tick. Psychology is more my thing. Are there any things that you'd like to achieve away from the show business um, entertainment industry? I'd like to be able to ride my horse on it with a halter, which I'm nearly there. I'd like to be able to protect my children from any kind of harm or, or unhappiness. I'd like to be able to, I don't know, endless things I would like to achieve, I would like to do. God, one could get very creative with that question. <laughs> well, tell us about your upcoming projects within the industry. What, what are your, what's your next well, I'm working move? At the moment, I'm working, working on something with the ABC called Rake, which is a eight-hour television drama of which I am one of the directors. Right. So I'm working in television at the moment. I'm earning my daily bread and while I'm developing other feature films. What's your ultimate aim as a director and writer? To keep working. To keep working until, you know, I'm in my 60s. I'd like to really keep working on, in, in an area that I'm very stimulated by and very engaged in and enjoy enormously. And is winning an Oscar an ambition? Pretty unrealistic one. No, it's not something that I entertain much. I'd probably rather win an award in some film festival. 
I'd probably take, you know, I mean, no, no one's going to spit an Oscar in the, you know, in the eye. It would be very nice. But there's a hell of a lot involved in that, isn't it? There's a whole lot of political things. It's not just, it's not just about making a great film. Do you think you've been um, given the credit you deserve for your contribution to the industry so far? Far more than I deserve. Far more than I deserve. I mean, you know, yeah, I've had a, you know, when you think of the percentage of actors who are living on what we call here the smell of an oily rag, most actors, most people in the arts, whatever the arts are, do not have houses on the harbour and do not have the opportunities I've had, you know, not necessarily able to send their children to the school of their choice. And, you know, 0.1% of the uh, entertainment fraternity who's done very, very nicely. Thank you. Do you want to live yeah. to a ripe old age? Do I? No, not particularly. Not particularly. I, I think 75 is probably do me. Really? Why? Oh, because I don't want to be dependent on anyone. Right. I don't want to... I don't want anyone have to look after me. I don't want to be a burden on anyone, all the usual things. Certainly don't want to end up in an old people's home. I don't like the idea of that at all. No, and I want to do all the things that I can do. I want to be able to ride. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to contribute. I want to be useful. I suppose that's the thing that elderly people will always... You know, I think probably it's the hardest thing when you stop feeling useful. And when you do leave this planet, how do you want people to remember you? Oh, I hope they don't give me too much thought. I don't, you know. I hope I'm remembered as a good mum by my kids and a spoiling grandmother by my grandchildren. Otherwise, that'll do. But no, but professionally, I mean, you've, you have done oh, some... Oh, you know, I really couldn't care less. I don't care. I, go, I enjoy working with the people I work with. I really enjoy making films. As far as them leaving some mark on this planet, there's far more important things to, you know, to leave a mark. I'm just making the occasional entertainment. Entertainment. I really don't have enormous ambitions for leaving my mark. But it sounds like you'd rather be remembered for the films you're making than the films you acted in. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely, but I don't hold great hopes for that because I make small independent films and, yeah, they've got a limited audience. They've got a discerning audience. It's not a vast audience, so it's, it's highly unlikely they're going to make much of a mark. But there is definitely an audience out there for the kind of films that I enjoy making, and I'm certainly just not making them for myself. I had, you know, 10 AFI nominations. You know, we've been to about 20 film festivals, We've had, you know, an, an enormous success with, with Beautiful Kate. It was one of the highest grossing Australian films last year. So I could not have wished for more from it. But I also do know that it, it's a very hard market being in an independent film. And, mm. you know, very few break out to, to a big audience. And it's a shame because a number of times when people, I can only say when people do watch my film who wouldn't normally because they're related or because they have to go to some screening or something they say i would never have gone necessarily to see that film and um, probably because it's australian because australians don't go and see australian films or because it was subject matter but i'm so glad that i did mm. and i loved it and i'm now going to seek out more of those sort of films so it's a lot of it is conditioning people are conditioned to go to films that have a lot of fanfare about them have the same old names of stars that are in them and they have a very limited cinematic experience Frankly, it's a pity people don't try and seek out things that are slightly beyond the normal fare. 
Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Now, I very much appreciate you giving me an opportunity to do an interview and to getting the movie out there. Certainly don't take it for granted and very much appreciate it. Thank you. No, well, thank you very much, Rachel. All the very best to you. All right. Thanks, Peter. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Bye.